doubts and emotional doubts, we could rephrase it, rational and irrational doubts. So, yes, uh, there's the positive side uh, to doubting. As I said, doubt is an aspect of faith properly understood in the, uh, in the fullest sense, um, most positive sense of the term. <coughs> But doubt is often contrasted with faith as if it is the the antithesis. And so we have, in the the language of Pujapachritamarsh, for example, planets of faith and planets of doubt, no doubt. But the doubt here that presides is an an irrational doubt, largely. But there, at the same time, is 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 rational doubt or uh, reason, which is its function is to doubt in one sense, to question, hmm? has uh, a positive side. Again, as I'm saying, as an aspect of faith. So, to give a simple example, um, One may doubt, for example, uh, sometimes I've given an example of Mother Yasoda. She had a doubt. What should she do? She was suckling the infant Krishna, and the milk that was boiling on the stove for his pleasure was boiling over. And it happened such that she was alone at home without any assistance, and so she had a choice either to put the child down and tend to the milk or let the milk overflow and continue to tend to the child. Hmm? In, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in one case, it would be a service to Bhagawan. In the other case, it would be service to that which is dear to him, hmm? connected to him. The milk drawn from special cows, grazed on special grasses um, that Yashoda Mai called for out of her Vatsalya uh, Bhav having understood that Krishna was even an infant going out in, into neighboring houses and stealing butter and yogurt and so forth, she chastised her husband, what kind of cowherd are you that the, your milk is not good enough to keep your son at home? Um, the neighbors are, are complaining and so forth. So a, a big arrangement was made, right? And um, it culminated in the boiling one sense of the milk from those special cows gathered by Nanda Maharaj, put on special grasses. And, um, and so she chose to tend to the milk. When I say tadiya seva, tadiya means that which is dear to Krishna. 
So, service to Krishna is the highest thing. Service to that which is dear to Krishna is higher than that. Hmm? This is what was how Mahadev Shiva instructed Parvati, who once asked him, what is the highest type of worship? And he said, Vishnu Araranam Param. The worship of Vishnu is the highest. She thought to herself, well, I'm a worshiper of Shiva. My husband here. So, I guess I'm not in the highest position. And understanding her concern, he continued, he said, that Tasmat Parataram Devi Tadiyanam Samartam. However, my dear Devi, that which is the worship that which is dear to Krishna or Vishnu is even higher and she thought oh well my husband is very dear to Krishna so very good he's Vaishnavanam Mita Shambhu Bhagavatam says in his concluding chapter that oh, Mahadev Shi is a great great Vaishnava Bhagavatam gives a very beautiful position to uh, to Shiva higher than the Shaivites give him so, um, so she chose to worship, to, to, to tend to the, to the milk rather than directly to Krishna. But the point I'm making is that she had to exercise her power of discrimination, hmm? her intelligence, which is the doubting function within us, question with intelligence. But her question was not whether or not there is God, but whether how to serve him best in any given instance. So this is a positive function of the intellect, spiritualized, and uh, in which a, a doubting kind of a function is employed. On a lower level, it may be employed doubting about some aspect of the philosophy, um, not understanding it, asking for clarification, what the, what, the, what the scripture is actually saying, which is what we seek to do in order to nourish our faith, our shraddha, our faith, is Shastriya Shraddha. It's, um, it's really faith in Krishna, uh, which is divine, but it's coming through the Bhagavat person and book Bhagavat. Hmm? Um, and the book Bhagavat is very heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, uh, divine faith, not even sattvic faith. Uh, Krishna says in the Gita, faith in the scriptures that is sattvic. But in the Bhagavatam, he says faith in me that is transcendental. So, with regard to Bhagavatam, we have Amalam Puranam Pramanam hmm? Amalam Puranam and uh, Amalam Pramanam the spotless Purana means it's not dealing with the Rajas, Tamas or Sattva or that is to say with people influenced by those modes its subject matter is Amal spotless not touched by the modes it is purely transcendental it is as uh, Satam nirmat saranam, for the for the satam, thoroughly honest, the devotees nirmat saranam without any envy. It's for the, for the paramhamsas. It's rasika, movie bhavuka. Uh, it's for bhavukas. It's a very special uh, text. It's the text that Sugadev became attracted to, despite being atparam, self-satisfied. Right. Hmm? A very curious uh, text. So, nonetheless, we associate with such people who relish the Bhagavatam, and we may have some connection with it and pursue the Paramahansa Marg step by step. <clears throat> so, divine faith, faith in Krishna, means faith in the Bhagavatam. Shastriya Shraddha, 
is the shraddha, the faith that is coming from up to down, and the shastra, in this case the Bhagavatam, the essence of the, the hub around which the, the rest of the shastra orbits and is, and is properly understood in relation to hmm, in context, given context. Hmm, um, that being the case, our faith is coming from, the, from, from this, from the person Bhagavat who personifies and teaches the Bhagavat in the text itself. Our questions, our doubts should be, what does the Bhagavat say about this or about that? What is its position? So we can sit before our guru and sadhus and doubt. It's a positive thing. Sit and doubt. And if they are qualified teachers, they should be able to cite the scriptures and give us an answer according to them and so forth. And that will grow our faith. We have to understand what the faith is. Hmm? It's of this nature. Therefore, this is how it will grow. And this is how the doubting function, hmm, if you will, in one sense, is an aspect of the faith. Right? Asking questions with a, with a view to know what does the Bhagavatam say about it? Hmm? And when I get the answer, I'm, I'm satisfied. Not, I don't like that answer, even though the Bhagavatam said it, something like that. Because we enter into this with the premise that there are things that cannot be known by the uh, instrument of the intellect, mind, or senses alone. That's a premise. Hmm? We start from this point, that the whole picture cannot be captured in the fist of our intellect. That it's not possible, nor the collective intellect of human society. Hmm? And there's no reason, there's no reason to believe, not even from a naturalist Darwinian perspective, for example, to, to conclude that humans should be able to know everything. Ants don't know everything. Hmm? Trees don't know everything. We assume that, right? We think the cows know everything, but that's another thing. That's <laughs> we're peculiar in that regard. But why should we think that humans are privileged to know everything? Hmm? Right? Um, left, that is to say, under their humanness alone, as instruments for knowing. Hmm? Um, so uh, there's no I'm gonna, there's no good reason and no observable evidence either to reason about that can lead us to a definitive conclusion that we have that capacity. Hmm? And nonetheless, we seek perfect knowledge, knowingly or unknowingly, admittedly or, or not. We seek perfect knowledge by which we might become perfectly happy. But if we are doing it with, with admittedly imperfect means then it's a folly. So there must be a perfect means to attain perfect knowledge. And if our instruments, human instruments, are imperfect, then if there is perfect knowledge to be attained, then there must be another means by which it should be attained. This is where we, again, we, I would say we fold our hands and now uh, let that which is beyond us, that we cannot capture within the fist of our intellect, make itself known to us by its power. You understand? So, use Pujapachita Marsh's uh, poetic kind of statement. The finite cannot know the infinite, but if the infinite wants to show itself to the finite, it becomes possible. Hmm? 
So this is a ba- kind of baseline of, of our, our faith, which causes us to turn to other means of knowing. Hmm? And, we, and so we, we, we enter in to our, our pursuit, spiritual suit, pursuit on this premise. There, there are things that cannot be known hmm? outside of the scripture. So the scripture weighs in on that particular thing point and then we, we we're going we're building on that so so we have so we should sit and doubt and we should but we should know what is the nature of the faith that we're cultivating because then we can the doubts can be eradicated if we don't understand and our faith is comal very tender or less than that even then it won't then it won't be answered won't be nourished by the scripture hmm you follow me? So, from a theistic point of view, as I make, I'm, I'm explaining it, there's, there's irrational doubt. This is another way of talking about irrational in terms of what we're doing and what we consider rational. What we consider to be rational is to, is to conclude, among other things, that reason itself is not a sufficient uh, 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 instrument uh, to uh, arrive at perfect knowing. Hmm? Therefore, there's uh, room for, for for revelation. So this is this is this is how we begin, if you will. So within the context of that, there is questioning, there's doubting, hmm? and then all the doubts can be answered. Hmm? Also, in another sense, also this doubt, in a positive sense, is an aspect of faith because the very nature of the subject that we're pursuing and entering into, being love itself. Love is peculiar in that it is a kind of certainty that is also uh, filled with, with with doubt. Doubt, in the least, as to what comes next. Hmm? You understand? So there's a, there's a kind of an uncer- positive uncertainty within love. There's a there's a grayness, not a black and a white, a grayness with. Uh, so many varied, nuanced meanings, possibilities, and so forth. Um, at first, we may have a kind of a black and white idea of it, but as we progress, it becomes gray. The road becomes straight, but it doesn't become narrow. It becomes very broad, and rules and regulations uh, turn into realizations and uh, and insights and so forth and now we're entering into a realm in which the Godhead himself has a kind of unknowing that makes him as beautiful as he is that's very peculiar he's unknown and unknowable those who say they know Brahman the Upanishads speak they don't know Brahman those who say they don't know Brahman they know Brahman hmm? Unknown and unknowable, but lo- lovable, hmm? and there's a kind of divine unknowing within him, which is the, which gives birth to Chaitanya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What is it in me that makes me Radha the way she is? That makes her attractive to me to the extent that she is? That drives me mad and so forth. So this is very um, kind of a dynamic, uh, very dynamic, growing conception of the absolute the prem 
for that matter, is said to be full and ever-increasing at the same time. So this is this makes for exciting. What's you know what what what's next? It's like a roller coaster ride. You you don't want to get off, but hmm, some of those turns are scary. You know, it, it, it's exciting, but. Uh, Love is like this. I also sometimes say that in the world in general, we're moving for some semblance of love and we cannot rest until we find it. But when we find love of sorts, uh, um, even materially speaking, we don't just rest. We find that love has a circle of its own, an orbit of its own. Now we're moving in that orbit. Hmm? Right? So there's movement out of discontent and then there's movement out of contentment, contentedness as well. There's a stillness that brings an end to the meaningless movement in material life in relation to things that disappear soon after I grab them, if I can catch them at all, hmm? that are here today and gone tomorrow. There's an end to this kind of movement. But in bhakti, our end is not with with stillness, but now another kind of movement, because we've attached ourselves to another object hmm? who you can grab onto, but at the same time is ever-growing and ever showing himself and experiencing himself in newer and newer ways and thus ever fresh rag means anurag I, I see him as if I had never seen him before every time I come before Daljugapal it's as if I have never seen them before like that hmm? so and there's a kind of uncertainty within the certainty. Love is this, it's of its, of its of the nature. Uh, um, so this is also a sense in which doubt or uncertainty is an aspect of faith in the context of bhakti. And then there is the doubt that's irrational, hmm, that expects answers to things that maybe can't be answered, <laughs> Uh, you had to be satisfied with the fact at times that some things can't be answered. There's no answer to the next question. It's possible. Hmm? Not to the satisfaction of the intellect. This is what Shastra says. Okay. But Shastra is not a servant of our intellect. He will work with it and so forth. It's not, ir- not irrational. It's not unreasonable. But it does speak loudly to us as to the limits of reason. So, when we want to enter into a realm that reason unto itself does not afford access, but we want to enter there with reason, this is unreasonable, and this will kind of repe- will be repelled from that that realm. So that kind of doubting that that causes one to be a victim of and a servant, a slave of one's intellect. You can be a slave to your senses, you can be a slave to your mind, you can be a slave to your intellect also. It wants everything answered. You want to fit it just, just right between your ears, the whole the whole thing. <laughs> it's a very unreasonable, but pushed by our intellect, we sometimes driven to be such foolish people. Hmm? And so when we question like that, and so forth, then this this kind of doubting is is irrational, or on a lower level, we have emotional um, issues, uh, psychological and emotional issues that 
for one reason or another are not being fulfilled. We're somewhat out of balance in that regard, and and um, and we don't really need an answer to our particular question. We need something else to resolve that that problem. But not understanding that, we express it as a, as a doubt. And even when the right answer comes, it, it doesn't work. So that's a kind of a kind of doubting that Krishna mentions in the Gita. That troubled by that, uh, 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 such a doubting person has uh, is uh, will be troubled in their um, in their pursuit of the ideal. So there. Are, Point being, not that there aren't ways to deal with that there are, but there, it's not just giving answers from the scriptures and so forth. You got to say, you got to go here and do this and work this out, and you got to change your situation. That's why you're having this problem and issue, and it's coming out in the form of this question. That takes some little expertise, right, to sort that out and help people on that level as well. But that's what I refer to as um, emotional doubt. Irrational doubt as opposed to rational doubt. And your question was, is the irrational, is it the irrational doubt that leads to suspicion, that leads to suspension? Suspe- faith animates us. So when we have faith, we can move forward. If I believe that I pay this money, I'm going to be able to get on an airplane and fly to San Francisco. So if I have faith, then <laughs> I'm animated, I go forward. If I have a doubt, wait a minute, I don't know, maybe that, but I'll, they'll take my credit card number or something, I hesitate. So I'll be suspended. Hmm? So faith animates. Krishna says in the Gita uh, that a person is their faith. Hmm? So it's 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 uh, animating force, if you will. It's an active thing. Hmm? Um, it's actually a way of knowing faith. Properly understood, and it's in a, in a, very uh, interestingly, of course, it's it's a more comprehensive way of knowing than intellect. Intellect is like a fence-sitting kind of way of knowing, mm-hmm. examining the thing, thinking about it. Uh, you have to get off the fence, go <laughs> and taste the grass to determine if it's if it's greener on the other side, <laughs> uh, something like that. Mm. So. Um, So, yes, these irrational doubts, they will suspend our animation and reasonable doubts that seek to um, uh, help us understand the implications, the logic of the sacred text and so forth, that we may proceed asking with, with, with that in mind, kind of, that, that won't lead to suspension. Those kind of that kind of doubting and questioning that is u- useful. Hmm. Does that help? Yeah, it's a very interesting um, uh, subject, and uh, it's an important subject. Uh, rational empiricism is an old idea, but it's, it keeps showing its ugly face, um, century after century, decade after decade, in new in newer packages. Uh, um, and from different uh, uh, spokespersons, but it's a it's a it's a very um, poor idea of 
how we can arrive at that which we all seek to be perfectly happy. Hmm? Um, and in that school of thought, of course, nowadays this is presented, faith is thought to be some type of like departure from from reason, the antithesis of of reason. Again, we look at doubt as just an aspect of, of faith. To say it another way, too, that faith that has no doubt may be questionable faith. Hmm? And that that faith requires an enemy, and real faith requires no enemy, right? Because it's actually fulfilling and revealing. Hmm? Weak faith requires an enemy, so we have to find what's wrong with those Vaishnavas and that sect and and, 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 and so forth. We make that our 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 focus. And um and, and then and then what happens is there in the name of faith we're conducting ourselves in ways that are the very antithesis of what faith should, how faith should cause us, cause us to act. And then people, of course, see that, and then reasonably they start to reject that form of, of religious expression and so forth, which in action seems to contradict the very thing that it stands for. It's supposed to bring people together in love and it's in a hating and uh, fighting and so on and so forth. So that weak faith you got to start somewhere, but we need to start strengthening the weak faith hmm, with doubts. That's often what I do. People ask, devotees ask me questions, and I ask them a question for an answer. I make them try to think and, and doubt and deconstruct maybe what they, they, they thought was absolutely right in all circumstances and so forth. And this, this has helped to make our, actually helped to make the faith strong. If you take a piece of steel and then you place it in a hot fire just before it melts and you pull it out into the cold, it becomes stronger and stronger. Hmm? So, this is how we, it's part of how we grow our uh, uh, divine faith. Then it doesn't become weak, tender, it doesn't require an enemy, it's strong. It's actually synonymous with knowing. Faith is removing the doubts, or in a sense, ignorance. Hmm? And the ignorance is you have no nothing to fear, right? No one can harm you. Hmm? From the from the Uttam perspective, everything's fine. No problems. Only opportunities for service. There's no real problems. Only new opportunities for service presenting themselves. So, you know, faith is, is it's a big uh, and important uh, uh, topic in its place in relation to reason. It needs to be um, uh, discussed. It's it's it, it's it's often also from a a 
neophyte perspective, uh, sometimes reason is, is thought to be bad, and, and sometimes the teacher's answer, you, you don't speculate when you ask a question. They try to go deeper and understand the point and, and so forth. No, no, there's a place for that. Hmm? Philosophical uh, conjecture, so forth. Properly understanding faith, we, it, it consumes us. It means it consumes our intellect and uses it, and taxes it also. It doesn't stop it. It taxes it, uses it, employs it. And this is a cusp from from the lower end of sadhana to the upper end. The intermediate goal is nishta, which means that the intellect is, in one sense, it means the intellect is fully engaged. So not just be busy with the body, but the, uh, yeah. capture the intellect as well. So, that help? Yes. Okay. What else? Yes, Kishanke. I think that um, the most readily in in, 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 the statement from Scripture most often cited by our founding acharyas to describe the characteristics of the Guru. Um, comes from Bhagavatam. Shabde parechanishnatam brahmani upashamashraya. So, Shabde pare. It means that he or she has to be well versed in the Shabda, which means the revelation, the sacred text. And pare implies from a theistic perspective. Hmm? This is the Bhagavatam speaking, of course. So, in other words, one may be versed in the scripture like the jnanis, but not from a theistic perspective. Hmm? So, shabde pare tanishnatam. It means, nishnatam means very well schooled in the revelation from a theistic point of view to the extent to which that schooling includes knowledge of other books besides the scripture themselves that constitute currents of thought in the world today Hmm? and hence the ability to speak about the sacred text from a theistic point of view in relation to currents of thought of the time. This we find in the Goswamis in all their works and their commentaries. They're all fully acquainted with the philosophies of the day. Karma Mimamsa, Sankhya, 
uh, yoga philosophy, um, and so forth. Um, Sad Darshan of India at the time, these were the currents of thought. So they're constantly coming up in their commentaries, and, and the Sankhis say this, and we agree here, and here we disagree, and so on and so forth. So uh, Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur makes the comment on this verse that this Nishnatta means not only the Shastra, but other books too. Hmm? Which implies, to, in, order, in order to make the subject relevant to the time and circumstance, one has to be able to speak about it in terms of the influence of thought that people are un- under, knowingly or unknowingly. Often people are unknowingly functioning, operating in the world under the influence of the dominant philosophical and intellectual currents of the time without having thought it out. But the, but the implications of those, hmm, that it, it turns into everyday living and practical thinking, they start at a, at a, at a more subtle level. Hmm? And so... Um, Yeah, I said I, I wrote something somewhere that, uh, about uh, philosophy of mind and, and the difference between mind and, and brain and so forth. And somebody coming, who cares about any of this stuff? This is totally irrelevant. But it's all over. It's in the cinemas. It's in the books. It's in the it's in the whole to the whole digital concept of life. Nowadays, millennials, young people. Uh, are living three quarters of the time in the digital world, and every now and then they come out into the other world. They go back in, hmm? and then it, 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 the implications of that are that, that even that that as we see in, in modern cinematography and so forth, where there are movies about uploading your consciousness onto a disc and, and so forth, and, and uh, what are, what are the philosophical implications? Of that, they're horrific, actually. Hmm? When, when how they how they actually uh, um, uh, play out. Uh, uh, so, anyway, uh, the point is that um, unknowingly, often we're functioning under the influence of certain ideologies. That if we were to hear the implications of all of them, we would think, I don't, I don't like that. Hmm? But then we'd have to see. Where we need to be shown how my actions are 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 in concert with that. But I like that <laughs> action. But the thought, really, that's behind it. So you have to be able to. Vishnu Chakravarti put these kind of things together and bring the teaching home, so to speak, in the times in which we live. Shabde Parajanishnatam and Brahmani Upashamashrayam. So Upashamashrayam means Brahmani means who has upstanding in Brahman. Hmm? To the extent that the that the uh, human passions are mastered, so that's miraculous. You want to see miracles from the guru? Don't look for him to fly in on a carpet. But if he or she can control the human passions, that's pretty miraculous. And you all can think about that. And think, yeah, that's pretty miraculous. That's hard to do. Hmm? To, to become free from lust, greed, avarice, and so forth. This is super extraordinary. This is the base level of our spiritual tradition. As Rupa Goswami says, 
Gacho Vegam Manasa Kroda Vegam Chibha Begam Udura Pasta Vegam Etan Vegam Yogisa Hita Dira Sarva Mapimam Pritivim Sasishyat He's describing the Guru here. This is the base level explanation. Hmm? Who's mastered the Vegas? The urge to speak, anger, the, the, the push of the belly, the genital, and so forth and so on. All these human passions, as I want, I want to say. We have mastered them. This person um, can be a master. So, um, and, and of course, the implication there in that basic idea of sensual and mental mastery in the context of Shebde Pare, Chanishnatam Brahmani, being acquainted with the theistic understanding of the text, the implication is that who has mastered the senses in the context of absorbing themselves in this theistic argument and ideal and pursuit underneath the surface there must be some other movement and emotion feeling hmm, driving them Baba, that's the implication of Shabde Pare hmm? you understand? Hmm? so on the surface we see one thing that the Gyanis could also have but we expect something underneath as well for which there may be symptoms also Rupa Goswami has given nine external symptoms hmm, for for Bhava, for example. So, um, so of course, if, if if the renunciate is 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 renounced order is to be taken by one who has only has attained Bhava, as explained by Bhakti Mnotaka, then you have no contradiction there. Bhava is the goal. Of sadhana, who has Bhava, can teach Sadhana. Hmm? Right. Now there may be a teaching based on nishta, ruchi, and so forth, that's, that's not arising out of complete... Um, you know, you may have a... You may have a... What do they call them? Like assistant professor. Hmm? In, 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 so a, he's a PhD candidate, and when the teacher's gone, then he teaches other students... Um, maybe he teaches them master's degree, hmm? which he already has, but he doesn't have the, the doctorate yet, or something to that effect. So there is some, and we talked about that with regard to uh, renunciates as well. So there may be some scope for not having attained Bhava and being a renunciate. And similarly, there may be some scope for not having attained Bhava and being a, 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 a guru also, intermediate, advanced uh, devotee. Um, but I ideally there should be um, they should be synonymous at the same time amongst renunciates or masters if you will of sorts of the mind and senses there may be those who are more adept at actually teaching then they should be deferred to or they may, may be more advanced spiritually. They should be deferred to. And in that case, there may be a group of renunciates, but amongst them, one may be selected from the group to be the person in the, in the, in, in the front, so to speak. And amongst, for example, the founding acharyas of the, uh, the Goswamis of Vrindavan, Gopal Bhatta Goswami was chosen 
to act as the guru, initiating guru. Mahabharu sent him his seat, wooden little wooden seat, and uh, a piece of his 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 his, uh, his cloth. Hmm? And he was the official initiator amongst the uh, the Goswamis. Rupa Sanatan, at least Rupa Sanatan, they didn't have weren't initiating many disciples. Maybe Rupa Goswami thought to be initiating initiated Jiva Goswami, but so, and there were some practical reasons for that also. They were starting a new tradition. They were outcasts of sorts, having worked for the in the Muslim government. Gopal Bhatta was from a South Indian Brahmin family, and um, in terms of social religious sensibilities, that was a good strategy. So there may be different reasons why, amongst um, renunciates and qualified persons, otherwise still they don't serve in the capacity of a guru and they may be social and, and, and religious uh, practical uh, concerns hmm? does that help? yeah okay what's the time? okay let's stop there Shishidaji Gopal Kijai Gold Premanandi. <laughs>